When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You might actually be the most derivative one of all. I mean, Christ, the same house. Maybe so. But you forgot the first rule of surviving a stab movie. Never answer the... I'm bored. Wait! And welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking 2A to 4C. We're talking, ooh, Mr. Tannen, you dead. Bye, girl. And we're talking, Jesus, Hannah. It's just hair. And I'm Joe. And I'm Trace. And we're talking, let me check with my Killer Weave support group and find out their sentiments. <laughs> the question is, do you think she would have actually gone to one of those? Uh, no, I don't. Uh, no. We were discussing, everyone, Justin Simeon's bad hair. Um, a first time watch for me. Mm-hmm. And me as well. We've had this on the radar for quite some time. But uh, yeah, just kind of never pulled the trigger until now. No, no. But honestly, it was so funny. This was like, I didn't realize Justin Simeon was gay until I was doing like my deep dive into like Disney's Haunted Mansion stuff. Because everyone, if you don't know, uh, Justin Simeon got his start directing Dear White People. But Mm -hmm. his next film is Disney's Haunted Mansion. (laughs) Indeed. This is the one that bridges that gap, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Moving from satirical comedy to satirical horror to, Mm -hmm. I think, just horror comedy, maybe, for Disney? Family fair? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, sure. But nevertheless, uh, before we get too deep into this, uh, because we do have quite a bit to discuss today, let's bring in our guest waiting in the wings, okay? Mm -hmm. So everyone, she is a Toronto-based film critic, film writer, and programmer and development coordinator of the Blood in the Snow Film Festival. She is also a programmer at the Fantasia Film Festival. You can also find her writing on her website, View from the Dark and Hollywood Suite, as well as such publications as Rue Morgue and Grimm Magazine. You may also remember her from our episode on Bones from a couple years ago. Uh, Please welcome Carolyn Morissette. Hello. Hello. (laughs) Welcome Welcome to Bad Hair. Yeah. I feel like I should apologize, Carolyn, because the reason I invited you to come back specifically for this episode is because mm-hmm. I will never forget the moment you clocked me during that Bones episode when I made fun of Pam Greer's dreads. And I was like, oh. I'm clearly the white gay who doesn't know anything about black women's hair. So when we decided we were going to do this film, I thought, you know what? We should have Carolyn come back because then we can talk all about black women's hair. Because this Mm -hmm. is a film made by a black gay man who also doesn't seem to know anything about black (laughs) women's hair. 
Oh my God. Yeah. It's, um, well, and it's, you know, as a black woman, we have like this really strange relationship with our hair. Um, Mm -hmm. on the one hand, it's like this kind of communal thing where, um, you know, your mother, your grandmother does your hair and like, there's a whole kind of, um, like a Sunday, like for instance, my mom used to do a Sunday wash. So mm. we used to have, I used to have super long curly hair, like down, down my, to my mid back when I was a kid. Oh, wow. And, um, okay. so my mother's like, first of all, they don't want you to cut your hair. And then second of all, they complain having to do the hair because it's so long right so like you get your hair like we line up get the hair washed in the bathtub and then she blow dries it and then i don't know there's this um hair pomade called dax and it is castor oil based it's a dark green it just looks like you know the creature from the black black lagoon the snot from this creature it is It is thick and she like would grease our scalps and then do tight braids and we were not allowed to take our hair out. But I will say that we never had lice because that Dax uh, pomade Mm -hmm. was basically protected us from getting lice. Oh, wow. In school. I heard, yeah, I found that out later from a nurse. It's like, oh, yeah, because your mom put that stuff in your hair. Anyway. So, yeah, there's like a kind of a communal like bonding type thing, even though. You know, you, you might your mom might pull on your hair, that sort of thing, <laughs> and and then there's this like identity thing where, I mean, we'll get into it. It's just there's a lot of layers to black women's hair, yeah. Um, and it's just so weird that it just so happens to be something that is so controversial and so talked about. So. Yeah, I can't wait till we get into this film. Yeah, I, I, I confess, I mean, shocker, as a white gay man, I, I did not know a lot about black women's hair. Um, so I, I actually, well, I want to say I learned a lot from the visuals of this film. Um, specifically, sort of. Well, that, that's what I was going to say. I, I want to say I learned a lot, but I don't know if I learned a lot. But nevertheless, the, 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 the weaving scene um, mm. uh, did not look very fun to me. <laughs> no. Yeah, I've definitely heard horror stories about like, oh, it's in so tight and it just it causes headaches and it's uncomfortable to sleep in. But, you know, the alternative is racist attitudes where it's like, oh, you're wearing your natural hair. Don't you think Mm -hmm. you'd look better if it was straighter or longer, you know, if you could volumize it or something? And it's I don't know. It feels so unique because I feel like we don't hear a lot of black men talking about it or maybe they just don't feel as comfortable or maybe I'm just out of those circles. All of those could be true. Probably all of them true. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But specifically, when we think about the depiction of black women's hair, you know, like, these are often the stories that we hear. And I feel like they do kind of go hand in hand with sometimes discussions of colorism. Mm, Yes. Well, oh, my God. I'm telling you, there's so many layers with black women's hair. So, for instance, there's colorism, but then there's the whole title of the film, Bad Hair. Right. Mm -hmm. Versus good hair. Yeah. So when Chris Rock did that documentary, documentary. another Mm -hmm. man talking about black women's hair and kind of kind of demonizing the processes from what I remember 
because um, I went to see it uh, like a million years ago. There's a big special event at Harbour Front Centre uh, in Toronto. And so they did the screening and then they had hairstylists um, on after a panel talk about it. Oh, and I just really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember because it was um, a particular hairstylist that I knew of. She was quite popular in the 90s uh, in Toronto. Uh, she was a black hairstylist. And um, yeah, and they were just talking, but I can't really remember what the conversation was on about. But it just seemed to demonize women wanting to do their hair the way they want it, right? And yes, mm-hmm. there are societal pressures, but, you know, I mean, I used to have shoulder-length curly hair, and sometimes I want to wear it straight, right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, wear it curly if I want. Like, it's your choice, right? I'm really glad you mentioned good hair, though, because, so, like, in doing some preparation work for this, you know, Joe and I, we both looked at um, some uh, some reviews from specifically women of color, black women, and mm-hmm. there were one or two that, that brought up good hair in a negative light, and I... Right. I, I was a little surprised because my recollection, like my memory of events was that that was a really well-regarded documentary. But then I was like, well, but at the time, it was like probably around 2010-ish. And I was like, I wonder how many critics were white at the time when that mm. was coming out. <laughs> yeah. And like it just, I know he was doing it because he had, he has daughters and he wanted to make mm-hmm. sure his daughter wasn't, they, they're, his daughters weren't doing things to their hair and blah, blah, blah. I guess it came from a good you know, intention, but sure. I, I don't know. I'm just like, what the hell do you know? <laughs> like, what yeah. do you know? <laughs> For sure. Like, I, I have to say there's um on Disney Plus, uh, Tracy Ellis Ross did like a, um I don't know how many episodes, but it's a documentary and she talks to black women about hair and it is so authentic. And like, she actually interviewed, I think one of the first episodes is she talks to Oprah and Oprah talks about like in bad hair, they're talking about don't get your weave wet. And right, Oprah right. tells the story about when she, I think she went to Australia and she went into the water. <laughs> she said her weave just locked. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it, was like, it was like this mass on her head. And, you know, and that's what I want to see. I want to see like experience, like, you know, dealing with experience of, of having, being a black woman, having hair and and like all the good and bad that comes with it, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know who also talked to a lot of black women about their hair in preparation for this film was um, Justin Simeon. Uh, <laughs> that was my segue. <laughs> no, but that's not sarcasm. He actually did. So, yeah. right. mm-hmm. <laughs> so bad hair. I mean, as I said, you know, this is his follow up to 2014's hit film, Dear White People, which, of course, inspired a TV show of the same name that he helped create and occasionally wrote and directed episodes of. Um, I really like Dear White People. It's been a long time since I've seen it. I I think I saw the first season of the show, which acts as a follow-up, but I didn't get to finish the show. Yeah, I've seen the first three seasons. I didn't watch the abbreviated fourth and final season. It is always a little bit hit and miss, but um, I can say as a white viewer, I often appreciated the insight, although in hindsight, I realized I was probably approaching the show much in the same way you just talked about good hair, Trace, where I was like, oh, I kind of like this. Oh, shit, maybe it was made for me (laughs) and not a black audience. Yeah, because I I think, okay, so Dear White People was a film first. So I saw the film and I, I remember liking the film. And then I started watching the series and I did, I really liked the first season and Mm -hmm. I remember kind of dropping off of the second season and I don't know why. I think I just kind of lost interest. Mm -hmm. It's Um, iffier for sure. Yeah. And I feel like, 
to just the first season just seemed to have a bit more authenticity. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And then the second season seemed a bit more like a parody. I, I, I don't know how to, it just, mm. I just wasn't kind of buying it anymore. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I mean, because that show would have premiered in 2017. So it was, honestly, when when Simeon was filming this, probably would have been around the show's third season-ish. Um, mm-hmm. But, so I don't know if maybe he had less creative involvement once it got into the second season or not. But um, nevertheless, I mean, he wanted to make something like this. So... Bad Hair was partially inspired by Won Sin Yoon's 2005 Korean horror film, The Wig. Uh, Joe, by the way, clock this. This is queer horror. Yes, I I think I have it on the list. I just wasn't able to confirm if it was actually queer or if it was just going to be campy enough for us to justify. It is explicitly queer, 100% queer. Uh, Amazing. It's okay. also, well, because the hair, it's, sorry, I kind of spoiled it for myself, but the hair, the hair is kind of like, it, it's queer revenge for a man. Oh, nice. Okay. Yes, but I just don't know if it's easy to find. I don't know if we have mm-hmm. here in the States, but nevertheless, anyway. Um, another influence, though, was Sion Sono's 2007 Japanese horror film, X-Day, uh, Hair X-Day. But, of course, this film deals specifically with black women's hair and the black experience. So, even so, Simeon admits that while he's marginalized in several ways, uh, for instance, being gay, being black, and being more at home in black female culture than black male culture, he Mm -hmm. doesn't have that lived experience of being a black woman. So, he sought out black women to get their hair stories, per se. He talked to women who were getting weaves in 1989, styling it the same way that Anna does uh, get hers weaved in the film. In doing so, he had many horrifying hair experiences come up, like getting a chemical burn, doing a hair relaxation, or uh, the actual process of getting a weave, both of which, of course, are depicted uh, pretty, I don't want to say violently, but... um, uh, not pleasantly There's trauma There's yeah trauma. in in bad hair <laughs> here's the thing though having your hair twisted and braided and and manipulated into something that you want to to look more acceptable mm-hmm. there is a violence to that you know there it really is because i oh my god i could tell you stories like i had a group of friends like black girlfriends in the 90s like i used to hit the clubs and everything and they're obviously we had different types of hair so me and a good friend of mine, we're still very good friends, like a sister to me, we had what was considered, quote unquote, good hair. So okay. like, you know, kind of ringlety curls. And then we had a couple of other friends who had coarser hair. And so I just feel like they always resented, like, there's also like a, a social aspect too. So you get resentment from women who don't have, say, a ringlety, looser curl, who have like hair that looks less mixed blah 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 so there's as you're saying like there is a colorism aspect there there's a social aspect there's like it's just really complicated Mm -hmm. and so i think we put sometimes women who are insecure about their hair put a bit of violence or resentment towards you know people it's like you something you can't control i'm sorry i can't help it that my hair is a bit looser curled than yours you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. i didn't like pick this and go hey i didn't do this you know i think that's one of the things that the film really picks up on right because i went into this thinking it was going to be about the kind of racialized violence that white culture imposes on black women like if you want to excel in the workplace you're going to have to have smoother quote-unquote good hair and we Mm. definitely start that way but then as the film progresses it definitely becomes more about violence perpetrated within the community like women Mm. against women well 
Which I get, again, I, I, I get based on what Carolyn just said. However, given the final moments of the film, it's also like, oh, wait, but it's actually the white man who's mm-hmm. making these women do this. So, mm-hmm. I, 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 For sure. I, and again, I get that. It's just, um, it's it, because Simeon's trying to do so much here, it all comes across as a little half-baked. Yeah, he's he's cramming a lot because I have to say, X-Day is one of my favorite Japanese horror films. And Ooh, um, okay. it is so bonkers. Um, it's just really strange. And I saw a lot of that in bad hair. I really, you know, like he was really pulling on the Japanese long haired ghost, the Anibaba. Um, there's also, um, cause I was looking it up because there's a, a legend that it's not true. Apparently I looked it up. The moss haired girl. Right, so, it's like it's yeah. sort of based on something, but it's not a hundred percent accurate. No, it's based on like a Gola figure called um, the Boo Hag, which is also um, an iteration of like in the West Indies. There's a woman called the Sukuya, and she takes on different forms, and it's like very folkloric, obviously. And yeah. mm-hmm. so the Sukuya uh, could be a bloodsucker, or she can steal your skin. Um, it's just like very. Uh, deeply misogynistic (laughs) (laughs) and um, you know fear based in like in terms of the crone and the older woman and and the more seasoned woman so Mm -hmm. you know Uh, Vanessa Williams as Zora like she's kind of like the crone but she's like a powerful Mm -hmm. um, hag basically right so there's a lot going on in that film but it's very messy (laughs) it's just messy yeah (laughs) yes Well, so while Simeon is doing all these interviews, you know, he realized that the real horror that was coming through was the feeling that black women constantly have to choose between themselves and their ambitions. Coming as you are is never the first option. Uh, Maybe you're a woman who likes to have her hair straight. Maybe you prefer it kinky and natural. But as you are is never the first choice. You have to figure it out. And so they start asking themselves, okay, well, what do they want? And then what parts of myself do I have to cut off to fit in the box of what they want? And it was this... That got Simeon so excited about making the film because in his words, now we're talking about a system. We're not moralizing a girl's choice. We're exploring a system where choices are presented. But are they ever really choices if you're told, get a weave or be fired? Right. So... Once he realized that's what he was talking about with this film, he started to build it out from there, you know, including the time period of 1989 and the New Jack Swing movement, uh, which was happening in the background of the film, adding in the slave folklore. He actually did, uh, Joe, I found out, because so I, I, I asked Joe before we started recording, I was like, was this on film? Like, because I see grain everywhere. Um, this was 16 millimeter. There we yeah. go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You seem quite proud of that, too. <laughs> But yeah, well, it's pretty yeah. rare nowadays. Yeah, yeah. Because well, for me, I, I wasn't sure if it was actually shot on film or if it was like digitized to make it look like it was shot on film. Given this, that this is a period piece set in 1989. But right. um, so yeah, I, I'm glad that it was shot on film. And one of the reasons he wanted to do that was because he said, "If well, I mean, I'll use Hulu because that's where it went for, for distribution." <laughs> but he goes, "If someone came, randomly came across this movie on Hulu, I want them to feel like they found some movie from 1989 that they had that that was never released or for some reason that they just never heard of. Like it was like some hidden gem that they had just come across." that like they'd never heard of before it did work it did kind of pull like because you know even the wardrobe was was great Mm -hmm. too it did work yeah yeah i I, i'm in agreement with that i will say one of the complaints from this film that's more about the the, the technical aspects is uh, regarding the hair special effects and Mm -hmm. i agree that i think they look fine for the most part I was surprised to find out so that the hair effects were done by Tony Gardner. And this is a special effects guy who had made a name for himself on several films. You know, he'd done the Adams Family movies from the 90s. Um, 
127 hours zombie land but then also like oddities like jackass presents bad grandpa or hairspray <laughs> which is probably like a lot of like the, the body uh suits for john travolta right but also shallow hell the fat suit for gwyneth paltrow <laughs> oh dear okay <laughs> But with the hair, while digital touch-ups were used, a lot of these hair effects were done practically with puppeteers and stop motion. It was just digital, it was digital touch-ups that they use. And so, again, I watch this, I'm kind of like, well, it looks like a lot of CGI, but I don't think it is a lot of CGI. Mm. No, that's conducive with what I discovered as well. So it it definitely seemed like people mistook this for CGI, but it is, in fact, actual practical. And that's that's actually quite commendable because, uh, I mean, that's not an easy thing to control, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, right? <laughs> you know, meters and meters of hair, like, and strangling people and that sort of thing. I did not, though, I mean, what did you think? I just didn't like the wigs. Like, I know they were meant to look exaggerated, mm-hmm. right. but I just hated Zora's wig. It just looked like she, her, the hairline was too far down. Um just I used to be a makeup artist and I did a little bit of hair. So mm-hmm. just like little things like that really kind of bugged me because <laughs> I'm like, is that supposed to be that far down? I don't think Vanessa Williams has that small of a forehead. Oh, I, so yeah. her, hers that was the one weird. that didn't work well for yeah. me. But then I was just like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It just it looked visually off, but I couldn't tell if it was meant to be a commentary on yeah. Virgie's inability to actually do this well like oh Virgie is kind of a shaman and she's actually giving them bad wigs it's just that the wigs are bloodthirsty yeah but I I will say this though so if this movie had a campier edge to it I would Mm -hmm. be okay with like some ridiculous looking weaves sure yes I agree I kept seeing like people say talk about how campy this was so many people want to describe this movie like it's really really campy and I was like no it could be campy but I found the movie to be pretty self-serious. Yes, I, th- that's my thing. So the, the issue with this is Simeon seems to think the mere concept of this film, the, the campiness of the concept is enough to make mm-hmm. it a campy horror film. And unfortunately, that is not the case. <laughs> well, it's interesting because I have a comparison that I'll make at some point when I decide it's relevant, but it's a film that I'm pretty sure both of you have seen. And well... It's not a film that I'm in love with. I do think it actually is addressing kind of the same issues in a sense, but it does do it better because it is campier. Well, okay, so here's the thing. So, and so let me go into this Sundance premiere because yep, I yep. I think given the 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 themes that Simeon is trying to tackle here, I think he might have gotten cold feet and didn't I think he was afraid to go too funny with it because he okay. was dealing with very serious themes, but Bad Hair had its world premiere at the Sundance Film Festival in January of 2020, and shortly after, Hulu acquired the rights to the film. Now, according to Simeon, the version released in October of 2020 is closer to his intention and what he was trying to communicate, because the version that screened at Sundance was different. Not only was it, and these are his words, it was a little more self-indulgent, it was longer, and the ending was far more tragic and pitiful, something you can't quite come back from. And Hmm. I took this to mean that Anna dies at the end of the film. Mm -hmm. And 
He goes on to say, you know, so he's when asked why he made changes to the film for its release, he said he felt like the Sundance cut was doing his audience a disservice. And also it wasn't functioning in the way that he wanted it to. In another interview, he said that he made these post Sundance tweaks because he also wanted to make sure that the black women who were showing up to this movie, especially those who were maybe seeing a black female lead for the first time, felt like ultimately this was a movie for them. This wasn't about them just seeing their tragedy blown up on a big or a small screen. And I think I think this is something that we've seen because this is the same year that Annabellum came out. This is oh the same uh, year before. Oh. This is the year before uh, Candyman comes out. And I seem to remember, especially with Annabellum, a lot of critiques from black critics about, oh, like we're just putting black trauma on screen again. And so I, yeah. I started to wonder that he wanted to tell a story about hair, but then he wanted to get really, really, really like political about it, which I get. But in his original story where Anna, I'm assuming, dies, he thought that was too dark, but then he wanted to make it funnier, but then it wasn't funny enough. And so that, it seems like a real mixed vision for me. Well, also, do you think that I kind of read from that, maybe he realized, like, if you make a comedy about black women's hair and you're not a black woman, mm -hmm. the intention could be kind of taken the wrong way. You know, like, if I... Yeah, I just, and if it was super campy, like I can, I don't know, there's just a really fine line. And I, you know, I have to say, I do appreciate him workshopping it with his black female friends and also that they were his friends so that they have that comfort level so they can tell him, I don't like this. This doesn't work. Mm -hmm. You know, this is great. So I do appreciate that because who knows, you know, a lot of people would have just gone for straight camp. And just done it the way they wanted to do it. So, and he, I remember I was watching a few of um, his interviews and he was saying that, uh, you know, he named characters after his, his, the female, his mother, his aunt. So, you know, they all have the names of his family, his female right. family mm -hmm. members. So, you know, there's like an homage there as well. But yeah, I don't know. I, like you mentioned Candyman. I would have loved to have seen Nia DaCosta do this, you know? Right. Yeah. Or like, Yeah. Um, isn't there a short film called Hairwolf? There is, yeah. Yeah, is, was it done by a woman? I think it was done by a woman, it right? It is, yeah. It's yeah. done by uh, Mariama... No. Mariama Diallo, yeah. Yes, yeah. So she's the same filmmaker who, who did Master. Oh, right. okay. Here, here. Yeah, let her do it. <laughs> well, so I, I'm curious, Carolyn. So, do you, so would you... If you, if given a choice, would you rather see this go like full on camp, or would you rather it try to remove the more comedic aspects and go for a more straightforward approach? I think okay, and I'm sorry, this is going to be gender based, but there's mm -hmm. a reason. So okay. if it was going to be full on camp and hilarious, I want a woman to do it because okay. these are lived experiences. So like I remember, I can laugh at it now, but mm -hmm. um, <laughs> such a dumbass. So I went to a hair salon that's no longer in the in center because oh god okay so my mother used to have this hairdresser named winnie okay <laughs> and winnie had a um a hair styling salon it was a very retro like straight she'd probably opened it in the 60s never nice. changed uh i went in the 80s when i was a kid and Winnie would do your hair with a cigarette hanging out of her mouth. Oh, no. <laughs> and she would do like a roller set on me. And Winnie had a beard. I don't mock her because now I'm in I'm in the beard years. So 
But it was, she didn't give a shit. She had these, like, goat hairs (laughs) hanging out, and she had a cigarette hanging, dangling out of her mouth. And you know, like, the, um, just like the old-fashioned coats they used to wear the hairstylist with the little collar in the pockets mm-hmm. that was it so that was my experience with hairdressers that was my opening my mother then winnie and i'm like i'm out because i'm gonna find my own hairdresser so i go to the in center and this um you know nice italian man i said do you do black hair and he's like yes we do black hair and he uh, he was thinking the color black oh no <laughs> uh, <laughs> so dumb i'm like okay i trust this guy and he did my hair and it was a disaster and i i was in the subway i said call my dad can you come pick me up oh, <laughs> oh my god so, so anyway so you know like that's a lived experience so mm-hmm. i'm sure justin could you know do a decent job of making it funny but just to know that a black woman has gone through that experience and made it funny and it's like kind of an like a nod to another black woman. That's why. But if he wanted to do it serious, I think he could have done it. I think he should have gone all the way serious, you know, Mm -hmm. because I think he would have had the chops to do it. But yeah, that's just my take. I guess. And look, full disclosure, this film was a three out of five for me. Like, I think it is fine. The more we talk about it, it may be more of a two and a half out of five, but we'll see. My thing is, I just don't think any of the comedy in this film is particularly funny. Or witty or sharp. It's not. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, they didn't really use Jay Farrow. He's so great. Oh, yeah. He's just the cad. Yeah. We can talk a lot about all the people they don't that he doesn't use to their well, advantage. I mean, there I, is I'm that, sorry. too. Vanessa Williams is doing... We've seen her be a bitch mm-hmm. <laughs> on multiple properties. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, literally, she's playing this same role in Ugly Betty, except yes. obviously yes. that's a TV yes. show, so she has, yeah. like, five seasons with which she can work with. But it's... It's pretty distinct, yeah. Like, it, I was joking before we started recording that it almost feels like he just called in favors for all the famous people he knows and packed mm-hmm. this film. Like, this is a star-studded cast, and yet, because there's so many of them and he's trying to do this tonal balance, there's no time for anything. Well, you go watch the pilot of Ugly Betty, and I can guarantee you that Vanessa Williams gets to do more and show more range and have more com- like comedy bits Mm-hmm. In what, let's say, four scenes of a of a forty minute pilot, <laughs> right. than she does in this entire movie. Like it feels like he was he was like telling her to underplay a lot of things. Mm-hmm. When I feel like it should have been the exact opposite. Like I wanted to see more of Lena Waite too. She was hilarious that mm-hmm. towards the ending. She's like, I can't die because I haven't gone to church. I was like, oh my God, that's a oh, great God. line, you know. <laughs> like, this is really funny. Uh, just some really great lines. I think she's probably the funniest one out of the whole movie. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I yeah, I, I would probably agree with that. I mean, I think that Yanni King's sister soul gets to maybe gets a little bit in there, but she, you mm-hmm. know, it, she's just kind of there. <laughs> she's got the morally pious role too. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, but but then like the next scene, she has a weave. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, all right, all right. Sorry, I'm almost done. Um, anyway, so Bad Hair was given a limited theatrical release on October 16th of 2020 um, by Neon, and then it was released on Hulu a week later on October 23rd. Uh, I couldn't find a strict source for this, but apparently the budget for this was $8.9 million, and hmm. I have to believe most of that was for the cast? Right. Maybe? Or just it's expensive to recreate a period? Maybe. I honestly shooting on film i'm assuming film costs more money than digital so sure 
Reviews were mixed, though. On Rotten Tomatoes, we're looking at a 63% with an average of 6.2 out of 10. Uh, Metacritic has got a 61 out of 100. And Letterboxd users have given it a 6 out of 10. So we're all kind of sitting there with that 6 out of 10, 3 out of 5 range. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, that's it. That's like, that's what I got. Okay. Well, let me take over. So we open with a scene of trauma. <laughs> We've got a hair relaxer incident as young Linda, who is played by Corinne Messiah, burns young Anna, who is played by Zaria Kelly. Yeah, she gets it real bad on the scalp. And this is painful. And I feel like this is actually a pretty strong start, right? Like it's kind of an inciting incident. It's a literal scar that will carry this protagonist through the rest of the film. Sure. It's a little on the nose, but yeah, absolutely. A little bit, a little bit. But, I mean, we're talking about a movie called Bad Hair. So. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> okay, so then we see bags of hair being packaged and shipped on a truck, and then we get the title card. So, we cut to Los Angeles. We are 1989, so we're firmly setting this in a period in transition. We're reintroduced to adult Anna, who is now played by L. Lorraine, and she's doing her hair. She's still wincing at that scar, so clearly, like... Her her issues with that traumatic incident have not gone away, and as a result, she is wearing her natural hair. I mean, I think she looks great, but uh, apparently, for 1989, she is very passe. Well, but so I, I was doing more, like you know, research into this too. So I guess the the art of the weave, like 1989, is the year where it really became popularized. Okay, which is why he said it here. He's like, you, he went back and like looked at uh, uh, like Ebony magazines, and it was like you could see the shift where it's like, oh, right. all of a sudden, it was all weaves at a certain point in 1989. Oh, that's so interesting. Okay. So I mean, that, that makes sense why he said it there, but right. I also don't yeah. think it's, it's, I mean, it's given like, I don't know, um, like the proper historical context in, within the film. Yeah. Like if you didn't, if, yeah, well, like if you hadn't said that, I probably wouldn't know it. We can gather some, you know, there's some context clues, particularly in these opening scenes when we see Anna, like, you know, walking through the office of rock music video, aka RMV. And like, you know, she's not getting the same attention as other women who do have weaves. She's not getting promoted in the same way. Like it's there, but it's very much surface level. Well, and there's a line that, um, is i guess one of the producers says to her he's like we're we're looking more for a downtown julie brown look right Mm -hmm. and that's really coded because she was you know kind of like um you know the paper bag test she was kind of that that light brown and she had curly hair and that's the type of black that they wanted on tv right right kind of like that mixed you know exotic quote-unquote look right mm-hmm. but not too dark a skin that's right. what vanessa williams is in this movie though isn't she 100 percent. yes yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I i confess i had never heard of the paper bag test until i was doing research for this oh well <laughs> really bad <laughs> no i mean there's yeah. just certain things where it's like this is not part of our lived experience we are not part of this culture so you know I I think it's worth acknowledging that there are certain films that are just not made for certain types of people. It doesn't mean you can't watch them. It just means that you're going to miss certain parts of it. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, but on that note, I'm curious. And Kira, I guess this is a question for you. Because mm. I, I do you feel like this film is made, even though mm. Simeon says this is made for black women, do you feel watching this as a black woman that it's maybe meant more for white people? 
I honestly don't know. I mean, it just seems like he was wanted to cram a lot in there. And I, mm, I would right. love to see like the cut scenes because mm-hmm. maybe that would have helped and made more sense. But mm-hmm. I, in a way, it just felt like there's a movie called Juneteenth and it's just about a mother and a daughter and like, you know, um, it's really sweet. It's like a, you know, like a drama. And the one moment that just seems so authentic was when um, I can't remember the actress who Nicole, Nicole Behar, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I love her. Um, she's um from she Sleepy, Sleepy Hollow, Hollow, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 So she's the mother and she's just talking to her daughter and she's doing her the, her daughter's hair. And there's just something so authentic about that where I think I think he tried to do too much as we keep saying right. because <laughs> it's like he he he's he's it's almost like a caricature and I think he's trying to make it fun but scary because he's right. a horror fan. He said several yeah. times he loves horror movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think he was really trying to grasp that for black people, but mm-hmm. I just don't think it worked. You know, I guess because I, I, I've seen some black critics complain about certain like black art made by black creators that feels didactic mm-hmm. in its approach because it feels like oh we're trying to make this palatable for white audiences to be like okay this is what it's like this is what we're doing when mm-hmm. it's like well if it's for black audiences you shouldn't have to explain these things to them yeah well and you mentioned Antebellum and the new Candyman Trace and we had those conversations on both of those Patreon episodes where mm-hmm. like we specifically sought out black reviews and a bunch of them were just like a if this is for us we've fucking seen it before and it's traumatic (laughs) Mm -hmm. and b we're pretty sure that it's not actually for us it's for well-meaning white folk who needed to learn a lesson those guys were audacious with that movie (laughs) they were sending a hated antebellum if you want to hear me just like rant go and listen to that episode because i hate it just the emails here's a link here's the email here's like a whole like six paragraphs about why we made it and this Mm -hmm. is us and we're so fabulous i'm like i didn't even review it i watched it but (laughs) i watched it no (laughs) i watched it and i laughed and here's the wild thing it's a a gay interracial couple who made that and you're just like whoa how (laughs) what just it boggles the mind like they should have known better i mean i think it was well made it just wasn't a good script (laughs) (laughs) okay sorry anyway Anyway. moving moving on so i i like a lot of these early scenes Mm -hmm. at rmv like it's giving me a good mixture of mtv meets bet we're obviously in this period of transition I love James Vanderbeek showing up as this white master, you know, executive Grant Madison, and he's awful. So, you know, we can hiss at him and that's great. <laughs> okay, but see, I, I I agree with you. My thing is, which, by the way, I don't know if y'all saw this, but like, like James Vanderbeek is on like a bender right now. He's like, I guess, leaning conservative, like posting crazy videos on oh, Instagram. Oh, fuck off. Really? I know. Come really? On. I know. Oh I know. We lost another one. We lost another one. <laughs> Um, but th- but this is the one where I'm like, look, I get it. Like, we want to have an evil white man in this movie. But this is where, it kinda, especially with the end of the film, where I'm like, this is maybe your one element too much. It's too like, much. I don't know if we need this character. I get the intent. Maybe with a different approach it would have worked. But this feels like it's too much into this film. I like him here. I think to 
argue that he's behind the whole setup at the end of the film maybe feels like a bit too much but i can definitely appreciate the idea that he's this high-powered executive who is completely out of touch with what's actually happening on the ground and he just comes in and he's like oh dark-skinned woman who's been here forever aka edna played by (laughs) judas scott he's like yeah you gotta go because we need to bring in this light-skinned former supermodel Zora Choice, played by Vanessa Williams. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I think he needed a white element, right? He needed the white element. He needed a come. Um, I think so. A reason for why everyone's getting weaves and changing their hair and changing their appearance and blah blah blah. So he he was the reason, but it was kind of uh, a bit heavy handed, you know. So. Well, particularly because it's a bracketing device in a way, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he's here at the beginning and then he pops back up at the end. He's in one other scene at a party, but he really doesn't have much to do in that moment. So no. I think if not, then it becomes, oh, well, Zora is your villain. And then we're basically well, saying that lighter skinned black women are bad. Wait, wait, but, but which I get, I get again, I mean, I, I know we're kind of like talk, talking about the end here too, but like the implication, yes, that, oh, it is the white, like, White culture has pitted black people, black women in this movie against each other. I get mm-hmm. that that commentary, sure. but to have it be kind of like an ending twist makes it feel like Ooh, it's a gotcha. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and maybe if there wasn't so much commentary baked into this movie, I wouldn't mind it as much. But because this is a social commentary movie, I'm kind of like, oh, like I, I wish that was maybe fleshed out a little bit more instead of just a gotcha moment, or that it was the whole thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I would have loved to have seen Virgie's character because why mm-hmm. is she like she was so interesting, mm-hmm. you know, like it would have been nice to tie her in and then like have her give a little bit of an exposition, you know, yep. couple of scenes and say, well, like, you know, this is what the white this? man's done to us. You <laughs> yeah. know, I'm doing this because I got to get my bag. But, you know, I'm warning you something like that. Then yeah. that would have to me, that would have made more give it a bit more sense of community because Mm -hmm. none of these women have come together. You notice that like there's Zora, there's uh, Anna, there's her um, Lena Waithe, Brooklyn. And like, they're not, they're, they're like, they're coworkers, but there's no no scenes together. (laughs) No scenes. Yeah. There's no connection. There's no like, um, you know, um, there's no moment where they, yeah. Like where they realize, Oh my God, we're doing this to each other. It's mm-hmm. just, they're all fighting Zora. And well, it really is, it's its kind of a shame. Well, it, it, that kind of links me to an, another issue I have with the film, though, which is, I mean, so not only, like, uh, they all seem to turn on each other very quickly, but that, that, but the same thing happens with Anna. Well, you know what, sorry, I, I will save the Anna stuff for when she actually turns. But nevertheless, I think her transformation to, like, oh, like, her, uh, uh, ambitious, like, corporate woman happens between scenes. <laughs> Mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> it's overnight <laughs> yeah literally it's overnight <laughs> it is okay so yes all of these women work at culture and it is being renamed and rebranded as cult and many people are probably going to lose their jobs unless they adapt and go with the times so edna is the first one out the door we will get 
more of her in the future but for now it's kind of like oh she was the mentor she was going to be giving anna a raise but now she's gone she does leave under the promise that she's going to try launching her own thing and for anna to kind of wait by the phone but in the meantime everyone is reporting to zora so yes uh we do have sister soul who is kind of like the more activisty i'm not gonna lie she gives off a slight lesbian butch vibe to me but um uh so i for all the gamers that are listening out there um if anyone watched the last of us the ep- uh, mm-hmm. the episode in which storm reed uh comes into the show yanni king actually originated this character the stormy character in the video game oh fun oh, okay cool. um and of course that character is queer so um you, you're right. not off mark <laughs> okay okay cool <laughs> and then yes uh brooklyn is played by lena wait um a slightly problematic figure in her own right okay wait um i'm sorry we can cut this out but because i only know her as a director but I, i'm admittedly not familiar with a lot of her work how is she problematic so she i mean a lot of people will know her from atlanta but oh. uh, she had her own tv show and it was plagued with tons of complaints like they shut it down numerous times because of like an unhealthy workplace situation like she was apparently not good to work with that's fun oh sorry let me let me just clarify i said atlanta but i meant to actually say master of none there was no problems with her on that show it's just that the third season was dedicated to her character got it got it got it got it yeah okay so the women are basically left kind of holding this bag but anna's a little freaked out because obviously her future isn't very solid uh i do love that scene where she goes into the bathroom and she's kind of having a breakdown and then her co-worker cheryl who is played by deheli hall basically reassures her that they won't fire her because she barely costs the network anything i felt that because that was my that was my life in the before times you're not getting fired because they you don't cost them anything (laughs) i'm not kidding nice yeah i felt my worth what is my value (laughs) exactly So we're also introduced to host Julius, who is played by Jay Farrow. He is the host for The Block, which we'll eventually learn was pitched by Anna. So she does have really good creative ideas. She just often doesn't get recognition for them. And we should also uh, note that the big new shiny thing that they're promoting on The Block is a new music video by Sandra called I Get It. And Sandra is played by Kelly Rowland. And we spend a bunch of time dissecting her new look because, yes, she does have quite the epic weave. I was, I I had no idea she was in this movie. No. And it's a fun little, it's essentially a cameo, but she has more Mm -hmm. speaking lines than a cameo would be afforded, I feel like. And again, this kind of a thing where I, I would have liked to have known what she feels about all this shit because isn't she also under the demon weave? She is, yeah, because mm-hmm. uh, her assistant Germaine, aka Usher Raymond, will later try to uh, get in touch with Anna to be like, hey, have you been back there recently? And then it's like, oh, we don't have time for you. Goodbye. You're out of this movie. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I think that this character is very clearly modeled on Janet, but I could oh, be yeah. wrong. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because he was talking about the Pleasure Principle video. Mm, he said he was mm-hmm. really inspired by that because of her hair, right? Right. Janet's hair was epic in that video. I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I was taking, I was a dancer when I was younger and man, that video, we would always try to recreate it in dance <laughs> school. Oh my God. And her hair and the outfits and yeah. Um, so 
I really vibe with that because I'm like, oh my god. And I don't know if you've noticed, um, there were some uh, moments where I think um, Sandra is also a, a, in a, on a show, a TV show, and mm-hmm. she says something like, you're never going to get it. Like, they use right. lines from songs, <laughs> which I actually laughed. I thought that was really funny. <laughs> yeah, even even that, right? Like, we take the time to insinuate that this pop artist is also acting in some kind of nighttime show for mm-hmm. this cable network. And it's like, okay, that's just a cool additional detail, but it's it's another thing of like why? Like why yeah. is this movie so jam fucking backed? Yeah, it's so true. And like even um when Anna goes to the salon, Robin Thede from a black a black lady sketch show, she's mm-hmm. the receptionist. Yeah. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. You couldn't have used her a bit more. That woman's hilarious. You well, know? Yeah, and no, I, blink and you miss a cameos all across the board. But that's the yeah. thing though. If this were more of like a, a outright, let's say even a parody, I think that would be all I'll be more forgivable because I, I think that's what we expect from like more like silly comedies like that. But mm-hmm. as we've said multiple times, this this is a very self-serious film. And so it just kind of was like a, oh that person's here in this movie mm-hmm. for a little bit. <laughs> well, and they're often comedians, right? Like, I think, Carolyn, before we started recording, you were like, why is Jay Farrow in this and he's not funny? Like, yeah. he's yeah. the cad. He's the guy that Anna is sleeping with who is basically double dipping at the network because we'll find out he's also fucking Zora. Yeah, I think there's too much going on. It's just a lot. I will say, though, um, uh, Elle Lorraine was really great. I loved her. I thought she was really good, and I can't wait to see her in other things. Cause I can't remember what else was she in. Insecure. She wasn't insecure. I, I don't know, recall she? her. Oh hmm. no 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 no. Elle oh. Lorraine. Uh, oh sorry sorry no. God damn it sorry. I'm thinking of her sister. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, no, because I was thinking of um, so Shante Adams who plays uh, Linda. She is the queer black lead in Amazon Prime's A League of Their Own TV show. Oh, oh, interesting. I mean, I'm glad all these people are still getting work. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And by the way, she's fucking fantastic in it. Um, right. But yeah, it's just, yeah. So, yes, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, we still have more characters to introduce. <laughs> so a lot of shit going on at this network. Um, we have to introduce a character that could absolutely be cut out of this movie, and that would be Anna's landlord, Baxter Tannen, who is played by Steve Zesis. And he is, like, this is a commentary that I think is, it would be welcome if we were going to develop it. But at one point, Anna says, you know, oh, my rent has been jacked up $500 a month because white people have begun moving into the neighborhood. So it's like we're making a commentary on gentrification. It's why she's so scared to lose her job. But we also just have this ogre of a character who at one point tries to sexually assault her. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's a lot, folks. Mm-hmm. I-, I-, I was not expecting a sexual assault scene in this movie. Um, it, and you, you look. You know me, Joe. Like I, mm-hmm. I'm never one to be to really balk at a sexual assault scene, but th- watching this, I was kind of like, "Oh, why is this mm-hmm. here?" <laughs> yeah, that moment could have been well used um, with maybe Nicole Byer and um, not have her get like be killed, but just something really uh, like a fun exchange, or you know, or like maybe Nicole Byer was being chased by somebody, or you know, just. Just yeah. make it more interesting, because, yeah, like a lecherous landlord or rapey landlord, like, eh, you know? 
it's it's just another i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna i'm going to stop saying (laughs) that it's overstuffed but it's just one subplot too many like it feels like a bit Mm -hmm. more so Mm -hmm. than anything else Mm -hmm. yeah Sorry, we we did jump ahead there. That's not mm-hmm. actually where we're at in the film. It was Sorry. more just like I had to get it out because yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know why. Why? <laughs> so um, when we go back into work, we do see that people are being fired. And Anna gets the heads up from Zora's assistant, Rosalind, who is played by Ashley Blaine Featherson Jenkins. So she's she's warned like treat this like a job interview don't go in there just assuming that things are going to turn out well for you and anna ends up not only saying yeah the block was my idea and julius just got a bunch of credit for it but she also pitches what is basically total request live yeah. <laughs> in 1989 version i i, I will say so that with this whole thing because we it's kind of a subplot where mm-hmm. uh, uh zora steals her idea and yes. pitches it herself mm-hmm. but it's also not a subplot because it doesn't come to anything <laughs> it does not nope <laughs> uh another thing that is in here but for reasons unknown is this sequence where anna is pitching the idea we just get a random 360 degree camera spin okay i do to pick up anything from this i didn't know why it was here but i did like it because i was like ooh, style yeah but it's style for no purpose yeah (laughs) (laughs) i know because I could see figures walking behind the kind of uh, shaded glass. And I thought, oh, okay, are we meant to assume that she's starting to see things because she's kind of selling out to Zora? But I don't think that's meant to be the case. I have no comment on it because I it just I was like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> I just continued watching it. I'm like, well, what? I and think it's just move on. I think it yeah. sticks out because it's the only and not not to say that the camera work in the film is not good. I think the camera work's fine in this movie, but it's the only like real stylized use yeah. of the camera in this movie. And so it does stick out. And so I, why showy. is it here? I don't know. Except yeah. for the fact that it yeah, it's show it's showy. That's that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. It's like cool. You you can do it. You maybe it's it. it's meant to vis- maybe it's meant to visualize the monotony of a job interview. You know, like oh, like you know, your mind just starts trailing, and you're like, oh, why am I here? Why am I listening to this? Blah blah blah. If I'm being generous, sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this does go down well with Zora, and when she gets back to her desk, Anna discovers that Rosalind has left her a card for a particular salon. So, Anna goes home to her family. We're still introducing characters, folks. (laughs) We have Aunt Maxine, who is played by the fucking amazing Michelle Hurd, who gets nothing to do in this movie. Her uncle is Amos, played by Blair Underwood. Fucking amazing. Nothing nothing to do in this movie. movie. (laughs) Well, okay. He's not, like, he's not the magical Negro character, but he basically serves as the... Well, he's, he's like, the microfiche, right? Instead of going to to, to a library, she's like, oh, let me go to my black... it's not black history it's it's a black studies or black yeah, he's mm. like a professor right they're yeah. all academics yeah he's an expert in blackness and right. so <laughs> she just goes and talks to him when she needs to know something about blackness <laughs> well it it's interesting right because there's hints that there's some kind of not fracture that's too strong a word but that there is tension between linda and anna right like mm. Anna goes to talk about her day, how she's gotten this exciting job promotion. Linda kind of cuts her off. She's talking about her sort of boring sounding monotonous job as a teacher and her life with her husband. And 
it it seems like Anna doesn't quite know her black history because she definitely gets schooled by Uncle Amos at the table when she asks him, you know, why are we talking about all this superstitious stuff? Like, that's not real. And he reminds her, like, no, this is where we come from. You need to know this stuff because they will try to tell you it's not important, but this is a part of our culture. Yeah. I mean, we haven't addressed it, but the fact that <laughs> the name of the television studio is culture and it's literally being just reduced down to cult is mm -hmm. a pretty on the nose joke <laughs> well and here's the thing though like they didn't really so i don't can't remember if they pointed out that anna is not like like th that's her aunt and her uncle that those aren't her parents right, right. you have to you have to listen to the dialogue because i think at yeah. one point she says <laughs> uncle Sorry, sorry. That, I didn't mean that to sound super cunty. No, 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 you no, have no, to no. listen to the dialogue. Like, it was like, it's a throwaway line that you hear at one yeah. point where she's like, yeah. Uncle Amos. And I'm like, oh, wait, because I had it that they were, that Linda and Anna were sisters. Yes, right? And they don't really establish why, mm -mm. like, why is Anna living with her aunt and uncle? Does something right. happen to her parents? Presumably. So, yeah. We don't know. <laughs> what don't know. happened? And then why, also, I took that as to, as... Because Anna was an ac wasn't an academic, they kind of were dismissive, like, oh, Anna's always oh, doing okay. her arty-farty stuff, right? Right, because her sister is a teacher, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. so why didn't they... I don't know why he wouldn't have made that more of a thing, because she had something to prove to her family, right? Yeah. Right. So that's that part really annoyed me. I'm like, why is she living with her aunt? And There's many mm -hmm. reasons why people live with their extended family. That's not sure. an issue. Just give but us something. <laughs> well, he chose to make it a particular detail, right? Like she yeah. could have just been a member of this family and it could have been everybody else went into academia except you. But it's like specific decisions were made, but then we don't know why. It feels like there's five different drafts of yes. scripts here. I, I was going to, maybe this makes it too like tropey, but like if, I guess it wouldn't work because the, 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 the bad hair specifically is part of this we from this tree, but mm -hmm. If the prologue in which she gets her chemical burn uh, would have also involved the bad hair somehow killing her parents, but like it wasn't known. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. I mean, that, that, that's like a basic tropey thing, mm -hmm. but it would have given yeah. us something. Right. Yeah. Some kind of connection. Yeah. So speaking of said bad wig, we do go to Virgie, the, the salon that Rosalind decided. Nope. So the next day, Anna does go to the salon that Rosalind directed her to. So this is Virgie's, and it's played by the wonderful Laverne Cox. Again, not getting much to do here, but um, yeah, we get a dream sequence. It's the first of like many that we will get throughout the film. Yeah, I think, Carolyn, you've helped me by reminding me that her entire family is academic because we kind of keep getting glimpses of this fantasy where they're sitting at a really elaborate table with like kind of uh i don't want to say costume like they're they're clearly traditional, traditional. dress yeah traditional. it's like african garb mm. yes and it feels like one of those things where it's like oh you're out of touch with your roots but also the bad hair is a part of your history because as the dreams progress throughout the film we will see the hair start to kind of infiltrate these dream sequences it's this is also this because before she even gets to laverne cox like this is also where we kind of get not our first example of like black on black like 
uh, not crime. I want to it's like to microaggression. Say. Microaggression, yeah. Which is like, look, I don't know how it works in your hood or wherever, <laughs> because it's like, oh yeah, this is a uh, a whiter black girl talking down to a blacker black girl. Yeah. Well, and there's a class critique too here, right? Where these weaves cost four hundred and fifty dollars, which in nineteen eighty nine money, yeah, that is a ton. That's no joke. <laughs> that like I meant to do the math. I'm willing to bet that that's probably close to like a couple thousand dollars never yeah. have i been happier to be a man with short hair <laughs> <laughs> right like uh which salon do i go to to get the buzz cut what do you think i cut my hair so short for i ain't got no time for that like that's what I, honestly go. i'm just kind of yeah. i mean look look if i were rich sure by all means give me the 500 dollar weave but like come on <laughs> it's just well, the care like when you get something oh, like the thing is you spend okay so you spending that money and actually the the stuff that um virgie gives her um mm -hmm. the essential is, oils so that is oh my god it's kind of a parody on this cream called pink moisturizer okay. it is like a like back then it was like a staple if you relaxed your hair or you had a weave it was mm -hmm. just this pink lotion that you put in your hair I can smell the smell now, and I hated it. <laughs> it's the same thing as, um, oh, my God. There was one in the 90s, too, called BioSilk. I hate that shit. Oh, my <laughs> God. It just smells awful. And, like, they would put it in your hair after you, like, flat iron your hair to right. keep it smooth. So it's that. Yeah. So that's so funny because the bottle is complete, uh, you know, riffing off of pink yeah. moisturizer. Mm -hmm. Ugh gross anyway <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i don't find much of this film particularly scary or even kind of thrilling but i will say these close-up sequences of watching yeah. virgie like sew the weave in and you can see her scalp bleeding in close-ups is that what i'm sorry is, is that what ac is that what actually happens like they're like yeah. putting a needle into your scalp yeah i mean it's they don't put it into your scalp so what the that whole process where so you can have your hair cornrowed into a spiral because right. that mm -hmm. makes it easier to attach the tracks in a natural looking right. way, or you can have it uh, done in strips, right? So mm -hmm. they do use a needle. It's like a curved needle. It should not cut into you. That's just a right. a, a big exaggeration. It's for like yeah. you know horror effect, but they <laughs> should not be like sewing into your skin. That's the whole reason why they put the braids so you can sew into the braids. So mm -hmm. that the hair tracks have something to hold on to, right? So, right. yeah. Right. But it would still be so tight. Like, they would pull the braids really, really tight so that yeah. it's not going to show or, like, elevate the weave too much, right? Yeah. Well, so this is obviously not the exact same experience, but the the closest approximation I could have to this is back when I was in middle school and getting highlights, because that was a thing in the early 2000s. Um, it was. They would put this, this you know, plastic cap over your head and tie yeah. it on. And they'd have to, yeah, like, like stick a fucking, it wasn't a needle, but it was, it was a crochet of, needle. Yeah, that's yes. how you do the And they stick school. it into like, to pull strands of your hair out. And I'm telling you, when that thing scratched my scalp, I, 12, yeah. 13 years old, fucking crying like a baby in, yeah. the, in the barber shop. <laughs> no, that's that's pretty close to it. Yeah, because, and then, so you're, so as as you notice, they say, are you tenderheaded? That means yes. if you're, you've got a sensitive scalp, right? But well, most people would. I mean, right. yeah. if, you, if you're doing that. And then if your scalp is not sensitive, you must have endured a lot of 
previous right. manipulating. So it, it, yeah. it's it's not calluses, but it's the equivalent, right? Like if you had a lot of work done on your hair, you've built up scalp calluses. <laughs> yeah. God. So crazy. I, mean, I can't imagine getting the first one as an adult too, right? Yeah. No. Well, I don't get highlights <sighs> anymore because they're not in vogue, but also because it, it hurts. So Right. Yes. <laughs> don't want to suffer for your art. Yeah. <laughs> All this to say the pain is kind of worth it because when Anna wakes up, she is in love with this new look. But uh, Virgie does tell her, never let it get wet. And also, you will need this bottle of essential oils. Wah, wah, wah. It's like a gremlin. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that would have actually been really... If, instead of just being evil hair, her hair became a gremlin. Yeah, you know? <laughs> oh no, Stripe is back. It's just hair. I mean, that's <laughs> the a thing stripe. too. Back then, when you got your hair relaxed or when you got a weave, you did not want to go out in the rain. You right. did not. Because that, again, money just tossed away because your mm -hmm. hair is completely destroyed. So... Totally understandable. You know, they joke about black women not wanting to swim. It's like, well... Who's got the money? <laughs> yeah. And then you're going to into a pool filled with chlorine and other people's mm -hmm. bodily fluids. I'm sorry, I do not like swimming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like it just because I, I don't like being in a pool with other people. I know, sure. I'm a weirdo. I'm a bit of a germaphobe. But yeah, like it's, you know, they joke about it, but it's like, it's an investment. If you're going to put your hair through that i'm not going in that pool sorry mm -hmm. <laughs> so anyway sorry my, no, i digress I, god <laughs> <laughs> well it's just funny because i feel like the the white person equivalent or the equivalent that white people would know is the perm defense from legally blonde the nope. ammonium pyglocolate <laughs> mm -hmm. can't get that shit wet <laughs> God, I just remember the smell of perm solution. Ugh. Anyway, uh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> hair, man. Hair. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so Anna gets home and she self-medicates because she's in a fair amount of pain. She dodges a call from Edna who leaves her a message to say, hey, things are happening faster than I anticipated. Give me a call back. But she does not because she's happy with her performance with Zora. We have another round of harassment with the landlord and then she starts to connect some of these dreams and some of the experiences that she's having with the moss-haired girl story from the slave lore book that she got from her dad. I pulled this, so because uh, in, in the book, it says that the hair on the tree looked like massa hair. And I, mm -hmm. I, I know that's like massa is like, you know, like save slave, like master. But like, it, mm -hmm. is it just because it's supposed to be like, it's, um, it's like white people hair? Like it's, uh, it's not like black people hair? Is that what that means? Yeah, it's, um, yeah, like it's like straight, I guess it falls straighter. Like that's what I would imagine. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I wasn't a hundred percent sure on that, but that makes more sense. Well, I wasn't sure if it was either that or the tree, like it, because to me, the, the look of the tree was actually similar to like a moss tree, which does have that same kind of visual aesthetic. I, Joe, if you told me, Trace, visualize a moss tree, I would not know what to say. I, I wouldn't even know what to think in my head when you said that. Fair enough. So, 
The next day, Anna goes in. The hair is giving her a lot of pain, but she is a very appreciative of the looks. Like, suddenly she's being noticed by people. She's not being run into by white executives. Sorry, this is actually, this is maybe some comedy that does work for me because when she walks in and everyone's looking, it, it almost feels like a Maybelline commercial where they're all like, oh, right. look at this <laughs> new girl walking in here. This is, and I, I almost wish things like this were played up a bit more to be more exaggerated. Mm-hmm. I couldn't even tell if this was a fantasy sequence where she was just imagining all eyes on her or if it was meant to be oh previously i was invisible because i had quote unquote bad hair now i have good hair and everyone notices me i think it's the latter but i do think it's the latter but it's not like you're right it's not showy enough it's not big enough to tell us that yeah i kind of felt like it was a little understated and mm-hmm. um there's a thing i have to point out too you know um when she's patting her head Right. Um, yes. That's a thing, right? So yes. if your head's itching. And I remember seeing a tweet where this woman, a uh, black woman went in to have her baby. And so she was, you know, like in her hospital room with her baby and she was patting her head. And one of the nurses didn't understand that she was just, mm-hmm. that, that was a wave. And she called a psych assessor. Oh my God. Because <laughs> she thought this woman was hitting her. And I'm like, did you maybe want to talk oh, to her? like a human being you know what i mean now every time i like you know it's just that is a typical black woman thing and i just i mean sometimes it's overused but Mm -hmm. it does happen or like you grab a pen and you kind of stick it in there and scratch between the tracks right yeah right but like just i don't know i just thought that it's just so culturally coded Mm -hmm. and like some people just don't understand it you know anyway i just had to interject that (laughs) No, that I mean, that's one of the reasons why we love to have guests who have different experiences than us. Because that, I, I was pretty sure I experience. got that. Because <laughs> yeah. I was pretty sure that I got that. But at the same time, I was like, oh, I think I'm just making an assumption. Yeah. Oh, see, no. Have you ever had... Like, so if you have an allergic... Sorry, this is not... like It's related, but not related. But like, yeah, I, I, have, um, I have an allergic reaction to certain bugs, uh, bug bites. And so I can't scratch them. So what I have to do is I have to like pat them, like hit them really hard uh, whenever right. I get bit. So it's... Uh, I, I know all about uh, scratching an itch without actually scratching it. <laughs> yes. Right. <laughs> so uh, Anna does get invited to this planning meeting, and this is where Zora more or less takes credit for her idea. But it comes to nothing. I, I, I'm happy because I don't need this subplot, this movie, where she's like, what? Like, Devil Wars prototype shit. Sure. But at the same time, it's kind of like... but. Why? Why? (laughs) Well, I think it's there to set up the kind of burgeoning animosity between these two women. Like, this is your adversary. You think that she's there to help you, but she's actually not. But at the same time, though, isn't she there to help her? Because by the end of the... Well, I'm sorry. By the time she dies, they are kind of on the same page. They are trying to help each other. Yeah. It's very brief, though. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm also really... Truthfully, I'm confused since the timeline was Zora's weave because it's like, mm-hmm. did you just get this weave? Because that's apparently what it seems like based on your realization now that your weave is killing people. Well, either that or she was able to afford more of the essential oil and keep the weave fed. Because you have to remember, it's when oh. Anna starts to run out of the oils that the hair right. starts to go haywire because it's not being fed pig's blood anymore. I'm not going to lie. I didn't get that that was why the weed was going bad. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, mean, okay. I, 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 I saw the pig's blood. I got the pig's blood thing, but I was like, oh, okay. So th- as long as they kept using the solution, 
they would have been fine. Yes. The problem is, is that they were all poor because they were getting the weaves to keep their jobs, but they were low-paying jobs. <laughs> that, okay, either not I clear. was not paying attention or it was not made clear to me. <laughs> it was not clear. <laughs> but also, like, that's a whole chunk of information that's kind of just thrown thrown in. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, like, I just, again, they didn't use Laverne Cox at all. Like, Nope. Was she only available for a day? Like, is that why? I wonder if they were like, we have Laverne Cox. You know, she's basically doing a version of the role she did on Orange is the New Black, where she was a hairstylist. So it's like, ha ha, kismet. But also, yeah, like, if you can only get this actress for one day, and then the character needed to be in this movie more. Wait, okay, I'm sorry, but I'm confused now even more because, okay, so we have the whole... <laughs> We've lost trace. James Vanderbeek, you know, is, is is the white man who's, like, making all this happen. And so we know that the weave also possesses them to do things that they don't want to do. Like, they lose control mm-hmm. of their bodies. So why even give them a solution that prevents the possession from happening? Well, I think by feeding it blood, you're accelerating the witch's, quote-unquote, ability to take over these bodies. So but, it would have happened eventually anyway. Okay. But you wouldn't have maybe killed people. You would have just been using the essential oils. Okay. Yeah. So, 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 yeah. So, so James Vanderbeek's mindset, and this is, I just want them to get possessed so I can use them to do my own bidding. Sure. But the downside is if they stop using this pig's blood lotion shit, then they will just start killing people. <laughs> right yeah Yeah. okay it doesn't seem to be what he wants because that's why we've got the truck full of dead bodies at the end of the movie okay okay the fact that we had to spend nearly five minutes unpacking that though (laughs) suggests to me that it was not made evident in the film no literally it opened up a whole layer to where i was like oh okay okay but it's also there's more 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 (laughs) yeah because we're developing like an entire mythology around how this all works which is great but then maybe you needed to cut out the 25 other subplots that are in yeah exactly yeah yeah Yeah. so i i do want to give mr simeon some credit because i think there's a really great very subtle moment that worked well for me so Zora is kind of like mad at Anna because she didn't speak up in this planning meeting and Anna wants to pitch herself as this host. So they're having this conversation and there's a moment where we see a strand of Zora's hair fall and then it seems to pick itself back up and reattach itself to her weave. And I thought Mm -hmm. it was just a great little moment. There's a bunch of little moments like that, actually, um, because even like whenever, because uh, there's a lot of hair flips in this mm-hmm. movie, um, and there's a couple too. But yeah, I know. But but when Vanessa Williams does some, because it, again, again, it it does that thing where you're like, I think the hair is moving on its own, but maybe mm-hmm. it's not. And so I think like those moments work really, really well here. Right, where you're not quite sure. Even though, you know, we know what movie we're watching. Yeah. It's a horror film. We're pretty sure these weaves are alive. But yeah, you know, surprise us. Yeah. I just had a thought. Wouldn't it be have been cool if there was like someone that was following the James Vanderbeek family or like, you know, their evil doings and she was like a completely bald woman and she was kind of mm. like, you know, she moved at night and then she, you know, said, Anna, you got to get this off your head. And then like, it would have been more interesting if there was someone to kind of commiserate with her again and going back to there's no connection yeah but it just kind of as you were talking i'm like you know it just would have connected the movie a bit better i don't know yeah Yeah. 
anyway. Well, it's weird because we, we do have so many of these female characters who are working at cult, but most of them don't really have anything to do apart from either be played by a famous person or be <laughs> part of the body count. It's true. And it's like, maybe get rid of most of those except for like one single confidant. Like keep sister, um, keep sister soul yeah. and, and have her be the one where she's like, no, I'm resistant. I'm not going to do this. And then she does. And it's kind of like a body snatchers, like, oh, you yeah. joined the hive, you've joined the pod. And then, yeah, maybe you then free up room. Like maybe Linda, who was like, oh, I'm also kind of poor and I don't live in this world. Like, you know, you could have her be a different kind of role where she actually helps her cousin. Yeah, right. A fat, like a familial bond. Like, oh, my God, you're like my sister. And, you know, we took you and like just a little bit of a little nugget of exposition. We took you in and I can't. You're like my sister and whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're rewriting this thing, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, y'all, I'm sorry not to jump all the way to the very last fucking scene of this movie, but the whole thing is like, you know, like Linda's like, oh, I got an appointment at Virgie's and like Anna looks all upset. I'm like, just tell her that they're witch weaves and not to go. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Problem solved. That, that pissed me off too. I'm like, you're not getting up? You're not going after her? She's not that yeah. far away. Like, <laughs> It's like, she's probably just down the stairs. Yeah. But you know what though? That's the new ending. Whatever ending we but that that aired at Sundance and if we have any listeners mm -hmm. who saw the Sundance cut of this movie I would love to know what the actual ending of that movie was because yeah the the, the, the final scene of this movie does like now knowing what it is I'm like, oh yeah that, that, that clearly was like a, oh let's get a happy gotcha on. ending yeah exactly yeah. it feels very tacked on <laughs> for sure yeah so it comes out that Julius is fucking both Zora and Anna at the same time and. This is another drop plot thread. He basically insinuates that if she tries to make a big deal out of it, that Julius will... He, he blackmails her about something that they do during sex. And he's like, I'll tell everybody. And she's like, okay, I guess I'll back off. Oh, I don't even remember that. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, okay. So we're making some commentary about how black men are not great. <laughs> Got it. Um... Okay, yeah. So our, our first clear indication that the weave is alive is when Linda comes over and we see the hair gobbling up the blood from a raw hamburger. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I will say that when I when I was watching this the first time, I I thought it was eating the ketchup. <laughs> oh my god, that's hilarious! Mm, nom, nom, sugar, ketchup. <laughs> yeah, so this is the prelude to the larger attack that happens when the landlord breaks in and tries to sexually assault her, and when she stabs him, then that's when the hair goes in. And again, there's commentary because he he has that horrible line where he's like, "Black pussy is a passion of mine," and like. Oof. there is commentary there right because so many racist white men fetishize black women mm -hmm. and it makes sense it's just maybe not the right thing to have in this movie at this moment yeah it was really heavy-handed again another moment where it's just like clunk you know yeah. <laughs> yeah it reminded me of the sequence with not michael bolton from showgirls where nomi's roommate is is sexually assaulted and he literally screams something almost identical to that i am I mean, no, not saying that i need a rape in this movie but i'm just saying that if we're gonna uh, have no no no, no <laughs> let's but, be but, clear no if, if we are going <laughs> if we are going to have a rape maybe make maybe make james vanderbeek the rapist character in this movie 
because he's mm-hmm. already kind of yes. a villain. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like, like it would at least make sense in some shape, way, or form than to have this random ass landlord. It is wild. It it feels like this is only in here so that we can kill someone who we don't feel too badly about right it, now. That's because exactly we're gonna kill mm-hmm. we're gonna kill Julius later, but we we still don't know how to feel about that. Whereas here it's like, oh well, we're happy to see this rapist get killed, and it's like yeah but i mean you could have also just had it be like he confronts her about the money and he like tries to grab her and then the hair attacks him or something like we didn't need a sexual assault here no i actually will say though that what what, from a technical aspect that i think this movie fails at um it is Mm -hmm. a lot of these kill scenes um okay i don't think they're edited very well and when we get to the barber the the, the hair salon scene later i'll I'll oh more that one's real bad but yeah i I think i think because again reading about the but the practical effects of the hair it makes more sense but we have to edit around it and i don't think the editing does any of these kill scenes uh, in in any goodwill i don't mind this one because when she notices what's happening like the hair's kind of already in his body there's a brief moment where you can see it kind of like snaking up his arm it actually reminded me a little bit of what happens to that scientist in prometheus sure yeah Mm -hmm. but yeah i mean basically she just ends up inadvertently killing this dude without even realizing it and then we do get this nice comedic stinger where we see his body just get dumped into the dumpster below which is what had already happened when she was starting to run out of the essential oils okay so <laughs> i will say the the one big laugh this movie got from me is this nicole byer scene so you know while, while right. they're watching the, the police bring away his body and the the she's like he tried to raise my, raise my rent five hundred dollars and the girl behind him just goes rapist and then she goes <laughs> damn that took a turn <laughs> <laughs> Nobody can deliver a one-liner like Nicole Byer. She is so fucking funny. I thought that was really good. She's amazing. And like, oh, God, I love her so much. Anyway, yeah. This this is where the movie is still definitely working for me because, you know, that comedic beat is very amusing. We've just got a death. So, you know, like we're we're on our way there. And I think the movie still has a good sense of kind of rhythm and pacing. It feels like we might, you know, sure, we've introduced 5 billion characters, but maybe it's going to use them all wisely. Lo and behold, we do not. But (laughs) Okay, so we head into work, and this is where Sister Soul refuses to change her name or her look. She ends up walking out, but Anna pleads with her, you know, hey, look at my hair. It looks great. Things are happening for me. Please say that you won't quit. This hints at a stronger relationship between the two characters than we will ever get. Mm-hmm. yeah i'm also gonna say that th- this line delivery of i'm not changing who i am just to appeal to some whiter <clears throat> wider demographic Ooh. i was like oh that's a little on the nose we don't need to but hear I'm, that I'm, uh... <laughs> yeah i mean and the thing is you wouldn't really cor- so they were on their own they were talking just oh yeah why them. would she correct so, herself yeah why would oh, no. she need to do that you know? I, I think that was in front of zora and like the whole meeting oh, right. oh was it okay mm. but but, yeah. but nevertheless though i was like i get it movie <laughs> i <Yeah>. get it <laughs> <laughs> so back at home um anna promises her reflection that they're never going to do that again as the hair kind of like goes a little wild wigs out um, but I'm bumps. Wow, you really whitered that joke. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
But yes, we do see that she is running out of this essential oil. So she's like really squeezing that bottle. And um, when she goes into the office the next day, she does see that Sista has gotten a new weave. And she's like full of confidence. She's pitching Zora on some stuff. We do see that Anna's hair is not looking as good. So Trace, this is the thing that you may have missed about the essential oils because Anna's hair is not laying flat. It's a little bit uh, yeah. messy and frizzy. And this is when Zora asks, you know, like, oh, the pink stuff is not enough. But before Anna can follow anything up with that, that's when Julius comes in. Well, so I did catch that. But I, 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 by not enough, I was like, oh, like the, the, the pink stuff isn't doing what it should be doing. Not, oh, you don't have enough money to keep buying the pink stuff and therefore mm-hmm. you're not giving it the blood it needs. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, that definitely does not ever get said. Mm-mm. Okay. So I can tell you this movie lost me at a particular point, and mm-hmm. it is this one right here. So the movie is too self-serious to suggest that when she runs out of these essential oils, the hair will feast on her menstrual blood. Yeah. That's when I went, oh, you've lost me, movie. I don't think I can. <laughs> I'm not in this anymore. Well, I mean... It was an interesting attempt at, I don't know, because I mean, it happens to a lot of women and, you know, um, not, not everyone, but it's, it's kind of, I mean, if I don't say, I wouldn't say if I had a killer hair to get rid of, (laughs) you know, I can feel it at least once a month. Yeah. Like I, I wouldn't, but I mean, it was an interesting attempt, but then also it seemed really kind of. I don't know, not male I needed this to be played for comedy. Like, this needed to be big, and it is treated like it's a serious moment. That's the thing. Like, like, this is something that feels very, like, John Waters-y to me, and Mm -hmm. the movie is not being John (laughs) Waters-y. Yeah. No. And also, it's from a male perspective. Like, I don't know if, like, the, you know, um, maybe um, uh, L. Lorraine would be like, okay, so if he asked her, do you think this would be scary? Or, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like... It just kind of, I don't know, it could have been executed better, I guess. Right. Well, it's kind of, a, I can just imagine this in like, let's say we're, he's having one of these, like, you know, uh, brainstorming sessions. Like, oh my God, what if the hair ate, ate your period blood? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that could be really funny, but let's not make it funny. Let's make it really serious, but then it's not going to be effective. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe let's sleep on that idea, Justin. That that could be something. But maybe let's workshop it. Mm? Yeah. yeah. I mean, ugh. but but that is always something that I do think about. That when watching a movie, again, we've said it's it's a it's a male director and writer making a movie about women. But mm-hmm. it's like you know, I I don't think that Simeon again. I think all of his intentions are there. I think he just mm-hmm. mishandled this, and I know that he was collaborative with all these women. Like so, I. But granted, though, I mean, like, it, it is, I don't know, it, it, is El Lorraine going to be like, no, dude, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I <Yeah>. don't know. <laughs> right. I mean, she's getting paid, you know. Like, right? It's a job. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe the way that they envisioned this or the way that it was written on the page or the way that they shot it initially, like, we don't know. Maybe they had different ideas and this is just what it ended up coming out like and it just doesn't work. But... Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it just does not work. Yeah. And and uh, do I do I find it offensive? No. No. I just think tonally it's not a good fit. I think a few people kind of got really grossed out if I remember correctly on Twitter. Like, oh my god. Oh, like, the whatever. kids will not like this. No. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh, people are so stupid. So, whatever. <laughs> 
Okay, well, let's jump ahead to the cult launch party. So this is where Edna re-enters the picture. So she comes to check out the new office and Anna is showing her around. This is where Edna reveals, oh yeah, I had the opportunity to take Zora's position. Like I could have done this whole reimagining, rebranding exercise, but she didn't want to compromise her values. And I, I will say it's funny because the movie just lost me with the previous scene. And then this kind of thing, it made me realize this is more of what I wanted from the movie where we're actually having hard conversations about how Anna is fucking poor and she can't afford to have the high moral values that Edna has because she can't just walk away and start her own fucking company. See, I guess for me, like, the film does lose me around this point too, but it's more so, it has nothing to do with the period stuff at all, but it's mm -hmm. more so the fact that like uh, Zora tells her, you know, you have a month and that seems to be the impetus for like her becoming this go get em, like ambitious cutthroat woman Sure. But it happens between scenes. I don't see that transition. It's just Zora's line. And I'm kind of like, this doesn't, this doesn't work movie. It doesn't work for me at all. I don't buy this change in this character. And then she kills someone and then goes right back to being good old Anna again. Yeah. Cause I actually was like, well, at, at the end, it's like, well, why has Anna not suffered any consequences? She was possessed yeah. by this hair. Right. She's killed. Two people? How many people? Yeah. Oh, more than that, because she kills three people in the hair salon alone. That's right, that's right. So, like, yeah, like, four people? And, like, there's no consequence, and I just... Yeah, it just didn't work for me in that way as well. Yeah, there isn't any kind of moment of realization or comeuppance or even like punishment not that i'm saying like this movie needed to end with anna in fucking jail or something no maybe it originally did <laughs> well, no, that because, could have been the other dark ending yeah i mean she's only what she's killed one white person if we're gonna do the count right sure right. she's killed one white person and then she's killed her former mentor uh, uh the, the hairdresser yeah and the guy she's girl. sleeping with yeah so there's no like the only one kill that has a reason is the landlord. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it just doesn't, it's like black on black crime. <laughs> what mm -hmm. are you trying to say, Justin? I don't know. It just <laughs> doesn't, yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah. Thankfully, we do get some, some pretty heavy telegraphing in this scene. So <laughs> we end with both Chekhov's scissors as well as Chekhov's door code as well as Chekhov's construction sign. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, that's a record. <laughs> I love it. It's like, oh, we are triple heavy dutying right now. Okay, so this is where Anna goes home with Julius. So Zora and Julius get into a fight outside of the party. Julius turns around. He notices the hair is back in place. So he misses her, takes her home. They have some sexy sex, and then she kills him with a broken bottle. And then we get another shot of her family dressed in African mm -hmm. garb, sitting at this table, staring at her. Yes, correct. I wonder, like, are we meant to infer that every kill then brings her closer to this kind of, like, I don't know, like, high ascension into, like, a... a is it bringing her back to tradition, quote-unquote? Is it a judgment? Like, a ju like her ancestors are... That's violent. That's how I took it. Yeah, like, it, it, or even her feeling guilt uh, mm -hmm. over doing this. Like, you know, she's moving more into a 
Oh God, do I want to say conformist society by, by having this mm-hmm. weave? Um, and so her traditional family is looking at her like, no. Like, oh, disapprovingly. Are, yeah, disapprovingly. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, I think that's probably a better fit, yeah. Because it's in her head. It's on her head. It's true, yeah. Like, I guess this is where she's grappling with the ramifications of what she's done. <laughs> it's in her head not literally and figuratively. <laughs> <laughs> and then the Cranberries wrote a great song about it, yeah. <laughs> okay so she has now killed julius she flips out she runs into the darkened streets she does happen to run by the wig truck and then she calls linda and i cannot imagine if you were linda what this phone call would be like to receive this is like tell can you read me that story about the slave girl in the wig (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) bitch it's the middle of the night what are we doing right now okay so here's the thing so the 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 hair is of the witches from the before time they need Mm -hmm. blood to grow strong enough to take over a person's body then they can come back to the world are the witches white we don't know okay this is where i was also a little bit confused because i i guess because we are reading from a slave lore book i assumed that the witches in question were black witches and Mm. I was then confused because then we have witches, black witches, presumably, taking over the bodies of black women and using mm-hmm. them to kill other black women. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when Virgie could have come in and given right. a background on the lore. Right. You know? She could have been Madame Exposition, right? <laughs> and <laughs> it would have been at least okay sure it might have been a bit like clunky but at least she, it would have given a reason and identified who these witches were because mm-hmm. i mean there's so i think it with gola magic and 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 root magic bad things don't happen unless it's kind of like be careful what you ask wish for right sure so there's kind of like a catch but it's also the intention behind the person. Right. Like if you're good, you wouldn't use it for bad. Yeah. Or like what you want this, like say spell or whatever for. This is mm. just from my research or whatever. And just from like back in the old country, they're all about obia and that sort of thing. And it's all fairly connected. So like it just doesn't make sense that it's so random. I don't know. See, that's so frustrating, though, because even yeah. that, to me, is such a great kernel where you could say, oh, because these women have been corrupted by their their desire to climb the corporate ladder, a.k.a. Mm-hmm. the sort of, like, white-constructed hierarchy, you know, they're all going to turn on each other because they've compromised. Well, but then we're talking value judgments again. It's like, yeah. why shouldn't black women want to succeed in business? <laughs> yeah right fuck fuck this movie i know (laughs) i'm very frustrated right now it's (laughs) it's just not giving it's not giving a lot of decent connective tissue here so Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. like what what is what is the message that he would like us to take from this because i'll confess i i default just went oh we're we're name dropping witches and witches are always assumed to be bad like that's how horror movies like to treat them even though of course we know there are plenty of wicca and there are good witches in lots of lore as well but i just default to seem like oh the witches may be black they might be white but they're bad because they're witches and therefore we can't allow them to come back to contemporary times but then that's also we're genderizing it right because it's also Mm -hmm. like of course it's women it's women women are the bad guys in this movie playing Mm -hmm. uh preying on other women i don't know (laughs) 
I don't know. There just isn't enough information here for us to draw from, so we're left to speculate about everything. Yeah. Yeah. And again, brute magic is not all bad, right? Right. Yeah. And and I mean, look at Eve's Bayou when hmm. um Diane Carroll's character, she's part of the community. And she's like a Gullah woman. She's like a root magic woman. And, you know, you go get your fortune read. And it, it, I don't know. It just, she's she's not like, they're not like hanging out with her. But she's not, you know, no one's really afraid of her in that respect. Like, she's a part of the community. So, it, I don't know, man. This movie <laughs> is missing some of that yeah. kind of meat. Maybe it's missing a black woman. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Okay, so Anna tries something different. She realizes the weave is not working out, but she obviously cannot go back to Virgie's. So she goes to Crowned, and this is run by Coral, who is played by MC Light. This is where Edna comes in. They start to have a kind of heart-to-heart. They're forgiving each other. And then the minute that Coral tries to cut into Anna's weave, we got three new bodies. This is shot horribly. It's really bad. It seems to crush all their heads, like it bashes their heads like on the floor or the counter like, or whatever. They, f- they fall over like the way that I might fall over and then they're just dead. Yeah, because it's like, I f- okay, look, <laughs> last year when I was in Montreal, I'm so dumb, I was <laughs> running, so I was staying in this airbnb and i was running because i forgot something in my room and then i ran back and i was looking in my purse wasn't even looking at my at my phone looking in my purse and the it's weird it looks like it's a false corner Mm -hmm. so it's basically a false corner and i went wham right into the wall (laughs) had a huge goose egg i had to ice it i could have actually given myself a concussion i'm sure sure they I'm sure the Fantasia team would have loved to have heard. Oh, yeah. And then Carolyn gave herself a concussion. (laughs) (laughs) She's fine. She's just a little loopy. But, like, I knocked myself out, okay? I saw stars. And, like, these women falling on the floor, look like they were just laying down, okay? Mm -hmm. I took a harder knock than that. So, come on. Carolyn, in the world of this film, you would have been dead. I would have been dead. Yeah. Like deader than dead. Because I went, I went into that wall, you know? This is how graceful I am, by the way. <laughs> but um, yeah, like that scene was terrible. And the blood splatter, the scene. Oh, yeah. That, Ooh, boy. Come on. It looked bad. It looked bad. Yeah. $8 million worth. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so Anna is now properly horrified. She she Finally. feels like the only person that she can go to is Zora because she knows that Zora has spoken to her about these weaves. She was the one who kind of directed her there. So she goes to the office. She finds that Zora has killed Cheryl, the woman who told her not to worry about her finances in the bathroom. <laughs> and they bond over the fact that, yeah, this this hair of theirs has this insatiable hunger that needs to be fed. So Zora decides that she's going to try to cut it with Chekhov's scissors, mm-hmm. and then the hair just snaps her neck. I hate that this is the ending for this. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. It's not even the... Well, it is the ending for this character. It's right. not the ending for Vanessa Williams's body. <laughs> sure. She kind of just hovers around with the eyes for the rest of the movie. Which I'm she? really confused. That's also really confusing. Her neck is full on snapped. So mm-hmm. this witch or witches have enough power to just reanimate a body and just like even though it has a broken neck and it's like death becomes her style dead and just like can mm-hmm. she make her do whatever she wants puppeteering this body 
I guess she fed it enough blood. Yeah, I guess. Um, because you can tell, like, honestly, the last act, I, I have uh, this movie has lost me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, agreed. So Anna now has nowhere to go, so she goes to her uncle, and this is where we bring in both black lore but also indigenous lore about Ooh. hair. I I was uncomfortable with the conflation of this. Like, these are two very different groups of people. Sure, there is overlap in the way that they have been mistreated in, the, in these here countries. But I was just like, oh, I don't know that we needed to bring an indigenous lore into this. Mm-hmm. It didn't bug me because I figure, because I guess the communities have overlapped historically, mm-hmm. you know? So it didn't bother me because I feel like black and indigenous um, folklore um, kind of they ground the community. So it didn't seem like anything to me. I don't know. It just didn't seem uh, because they intersect. Right. And yeah, I guess. I don't know. I could be completely wrong, but it did that for some reason didn't bother me. But Mm. I don't know. I think I just wanted it like we were going to introduce this new component. I Mm -hmm. wanted it to have a payoff because this doesn't really come to much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it doesn't. I mean, it just seemed like they were trying to get all academic and, Mm -hmm. and, and yeah, it just, again, you know, like we've been (laughs) saying all episode. (laughs) It's a lot. It's a lot. lot. It's, it's, (laughs) why not throw one more thing into this pot? Why not? Yeah. Aliens. A true melting pot. <laughs> it's like American Horror Story. Yeah. Oh my god! Oh my kind god! It is actually too many ideas, not enough runtime, but we filled it with celebrity cameos. You know what? Yeah. Though you could probably turn this into a really good miniseries. I, I would watch a miniseries of this mm-hmm. because there yes. does feel like there's enough ideas here yes. to propel eight to ten episodes. You just you have to flesh them out. You have to flesh them out. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Anna basically pieces out for a little bit. She doesn't want to go into work. But when she finally does, uh, she is told, hey, because Zora did not come into work today, you get to take over hosting the launch of Cult Live. So she finally gets her dream. In a way, she's gotten everything that she wanted. So the number one video is Sandra. I do love this moment where Sandra comes out. So we've got Kelly Rowland doing her like, hey, it's my video. The minute we cut to commercial, this bitch is out of there. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, zoop, gone. <laughs> I was like, ooh, there's some, some commentary on uh, this. But yeah, okay. So um, Anna thinks that she sees Zora in the window. So she goes up to her office, and this is where we see Rosalind get killed. And then we're basically on the run for more or less the remainder of the film yeah it's just hair chasing her through all these office buildings and then we also have zora coming back with her glowy eyes and there's mm-hmm. kind of a suspenseful set piece where she gets into the sound booth and she's like oh my god i gotta do something it's pawnee pool and then she just uh you know <laughs> really? finds a gun. you didn't want to go scream too okay <laughs> oh no i was full on pawnee pool for this <laughs> <laughs> um finds a gun it's a lighter lights the sprinklers oh gets all the weaves wet and they uh, uh she defeats them kind of yeah, I'm curious. Did the lighter slash gun, like the novelty lighter in the form of a gun, did that feel like in a comedy that would have played differently as well? Or were you just kind of like, mm, okay, you know, she's she's using what she's got. I think it would have played. I think you're right. it would have played better in a comedy. Um, when it actually happened, I was kind of like, oh, okay. 
<laughs> I thought she was going to burn the hair. Right. Uh, like, okay. Like, burn the hair. But then, yeah, I guess, uh, yeah, guess because she had to do something to get this to wet the hair, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. Like, as soon as Virgie said, don't ever get it wet, I was like, well, that'll come back. Obviously. We know how to destroy yeah. it. Which, honestly, <laughs> it's like the signs of possessed hair movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. How, how do you kill Jason and Freddy versus Jason? And how do you kill hair that is possessed? Uh, apparently, you just toss it in water. Toss it in to water. Bam. <laughs> bing, bang, boom. Yeah, so that's what she does. She sets off the uh, fire. I guess it's not a fire alarm. Yeah, so that's what she does. She sets off the fire. Um, the sprinkler system. There we go. Thank you. It took me two tries. You can keep those both in now. So she sets off the sprinkler system, and this effectively kills Zora, as well as Sista, who was also there. Okay. She killed Brooklyn, but who could care at this but point? But it doesn't kill Zora. It does not. Because she said it, like, lying there mumbling, right? Well, but at the end of the movie, we see billboards of Zora all over the place. And I yes. assume there's a bit of a time jump here. So it's like, well, she's yeah. still alive doing uh, uh, Massa's work. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I didn't flag the time jump, but you're right yeah. that I guess Anna would have had to get the hair taken out. And then she has had enough time to pack up her apartment and move back home. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I guess I default assumed that all of those were up because Zora was going to be the face of cult. So they would have already had them up again, kind of like showgirls. I mean, that's possible. But honestly, the whole like, oh, uh, uh, Linda got an appointment at Virgie's means that this mm -hmm. business uh, and what we see with Vanderbeek at his uh, I'm going to call it a plantation home. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yep. it is. It is. Yeah. Plantation. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, this business is still in business. Yeah, you know what? I think your reading does make a lot more sense, and it almost makes me like it less. <laughs> I mean, you could read it as, hey, like, this is something that's still going on today. You can fight it all you want, but hey, this shit still goes on. And again, sure. I get that as commentary. Mm -hmm. But sure, as as a movie, I'm just kind of like, eh. <laughs> well, you know, he. the thing is, you know, I watched a few documentaries on selling hair that that you know uh, for weaves mm -hmm. and it's just really kind of it's very exploitative um there are some people like um in in poorer countries that treat the women well um who are selling their hair for weaves and that sort of thing but right. you know it's more of a i mean he's trying to make it a black thing but it's yes. more of a, a global thing and it's it's a third world country thing and I don't know, there's something in there that can kind of maybe you could draw more of a commentary, but mm. I don't know. Mm. It just, yeah, it just like the, it's just such a weak ending. And I know, you know, if you look at it on the surface, it's, it's kind of fun. It talks about black women and hair and whatever, but it just, when you really dissect it, it really needs work. <laughs> you know, really? Yeah, yeah. And right. like, Again, going back to women, black women, and 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 hair and stuff like that. Um, what's her name? Ayana Presley is that her name? She's the bald congresswoman. Um, she has alopecia. The black woman. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And she, you know, she's a prime example of someone who had to kind of wore wigs because she felt the pressure as someone in American politics to look the part. 
And then she's like, screw this. And she took, you know, she took the wig off. She's like, I'm not <laughs> yeah. doing this anymore. It would have been nice to have had that kind of moment. I don't right. know. Like, just to Anna to have more power instead of her kind of getting out just by, you know, luck. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, it just doesn't work for me, this film. Yeah. I mean, it's a thing where it's like, you know, my three out of five has definitely become a two and a half out of five as we no, talked about this. Keeps I, dropping. I, well, I, I, I still, again, I, I, I get Simeon's intentions. I do like a lot of parts of it. I, I see all mm-hmm. these ideas here. Mm-hmm. They just don't come together in a cohesive whole. I don't find this movie particularly offensive. Um, and, and of course, oh, sure. that may be different for other people. But I, I just, yeah, it's just kind of... It just doesn't work. It doesn't hold itself together. Yeah, like, it's not a mess. It's not a mess. It's just... Mm, it's a bit of a mess. Eh, it's just, it's unfocused. It, it, I, I don't know... If I hadn't had Simeon's quotes, I would not truly know what his intentions were with this film. Oh, exactly. absolutely not. No. He he really taught, like, I was looking through a lot of interviews and YouTube interviews. He was really talking that up. And, like, he, you know, and he, there is um, an African-American film critic's uh, roundtable interview with him. And, uh, like, okay. and one woman asked him, you know... You know, people are going to ask you why you're doing a film about, about black women. And mm-hmm. and he's like, yeah, I really appreciate. Like, he really spun it in his PR. I really appreciate that question. And, you know, this is, I'm trying to open conversations about this. Uh, but that starts like, to feel like a talking point when you see the finished film and you're like, yeah. but did you? Like, it feels like maybe you heard the stories, but then you didn't. I don't know. It's just some rich reading everything we've already said, but it's like, I, it just feels like he was like, oh yeah, oh, and I'm going to do this. Oh, oh my God, this, I'm going to do this. Oh, I'm going to do this too. I'm going to do this too. And as kept, incorporate everyone's stories. Yes. And again, th- that is a well-intentioned idea. It's mm-hmm. just not feasible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and I think, you know, I we haven't really brought in a ton of like, we haven't name dropped a bunch of people whose reviews we ended up reading, but I do want to highlight Angelica Jade Bastian for Vulture, as well as Jordan Cyrils for OK Player. And one of the things that both of them reference in their extremely negative reviews of this movie is basically this idea that just because a black man wants to make a movie about a black issue doesn't mean that he is the right fit. So mm-hmm. this is an interesting piece, I think, for representation where, like, sure, he knows black hair, but he doesn't know black women's hair. And I think both of these critics say, you know, it highlights the strange thorny relationship to the beauty rituals of black women and the intimate spaces in which they take. But it's like, maybe we're past due as a culture to have this conversation about our black male cinematic voices. At some point, we must begin to reckon with the way that black men have shaped American culture's understanding of black women, our personality, sexuality, and our hair. So they're kind of like, you had all these well-intentioned ideas, you did not execute them well. Maybe you need to take a step back and let black women tell black women stories. 100%. Like, 100%. It couldn't have been well more well said because it's true. And, I, and, you know, there's a lot sometimes, I don't know, there's like within the black community, there's can be a lot of tension between black men and black women. It's like mm-hmm. a, this is like a whole other can of worms. Right. right. But and it's like, you know, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't as a black woman. Like if you have a job and you're, you know, you're very successful. Well, they're like, oh, well. 
you know, you're going to think I'm a bum, you know, or <laughs> like black men kind of react negatively towards that. Or if you're not doing as well, they react negatively towards that. So you can't really win sometimes. And yeah, it's just a very complicated like relationship sometimes. But, you know, I got to give a plug to um, a professor. I believe she's at York. I'm not sure if she's at York anymore, but her name is Dr. Cheryl Thompson. And she's written a book called um, Beauty in a Box about the black hair care um, industry in Canada. Okay. So I encourage, I bought it. I haven't read it yet. I'm saving it for my um, train ride to um fantasia (laughs) Mm, okay um so but it's like it's not it's not a big book and i'm just like she's she's just an incredible um professor and researcher and writer so highly recommend people picking that up because she talks she's a black woman and she's talking about black women and hair and how the industry and the economy are really leeching black women for their money right because i mean we're gonna you know, you want to make, you want to look good. So you're going to spend <laughs> as much money as you, you can. Right. Yeah. So yeah. it's like a whole economic thing as well, which he didn't, re- he kind of a- approached that because, you know, they're, a she's like, bit. she's like, you know, gathering, she's asking her aunt for money to go get her hair done, but it could have been delved. I mean, again, mm-hmm. he has like, like a whole, he owes like a 10 episode mini series in there. So anyway, yeah. we need a, we need a bad hair miniseries the way we needed a dear white people yeah. series right <laughs> yeah yeah i guess i don't know yeah because yeah i guess because we said you know at, at the beginning like this kind of petered off that series yeah hmm. eh. so i don't want to drag out the conversation too too much longer but i did mention that i had a comparison i thought it might be an interesting oh, yeah. way to end the episode uh we don't have to make this a long conversation but i wonder if the two of you have thoughts on how slacks the french canadian oh. film about imported fast fashion jeans compares to this because that is a much more comedic film but it does have a very heavy dose of political commentary <laughs> Trace, I know you don't love slacks. I, I just didn't think it was funny. Okay. <laughs> like, I, I, I thought I had a couple of funny moments. Um, honestly, the, the, the commentary I it didn't rub off on me really at all. I just like, it's a movie about killer jeans. I was like, cool, this should be really fun and stupid. And it's kind of just stupid for me. Ooh, okay. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought it was fun. I think, I think it kind of, it, it actually had a some decent connective tissue it it Mm. was kind of full circle so it Mm -hmm. made a lot more sense than this film (laughs) sadly (laughs) it made a lot more sense and i did enjoy it yeah i think that's an interesting i think it's a really good comparison um because there's also a cultural aspect where you know they've got like you know um south asian workers uh, collecting the cotton and like it's just the conditions are not great mm-hmm. um and again you see that's a very clear message whereas yeah. you're not really sure what the message is in bad hair so mm-hmm. yeah i mean you are but you aren't right so well but that's the thing too because slacks is also um 
less than 80 minutes long <laughs> right right, <laughs> right. Um, so I, I i appreciate brevity and you're right it's focused because it's focusing on one aspect of social mm-hmm. commentary mm-hmm. where as we said multiple times this movie's trying to do too much so I, I can respect it for that i just i just wish that the uh this the the satire i i i wish it was funnier i wish it was funnier for right me. Mm-hmm. but that, that yeah. but that aside yeah i do think it's more effective at what it's trying to do than what bad hair is trying to do Mm-hmm. So I guess at the end of the day, I mean, I I don't think Slacks is a great movie. I like it better than this because it is a little bit more focused. I have a lot of issues with the pacing of that film. It's like we kill a bunch of people and then there's like 40 minutes of dead <laughs> air. But um, but I, I think, yeah, just by sheer concentrating your message, that movie is a little bit more successful. So if people watch Bad Hair, they didn't quite love it. Obviously, Slacks is not dealing specifically with black culture. We're doing more of like an international fast fashion commentary, but uh, maybe give that a try. It might be a little bit more your bag. Yeah. Yeah. Cosign on all counts. Um, all right. Well, uh, that has been bad hair, everybody. <laughs> so before we announce a recovery next week, uh, Carolyn, first of all, thank you so much for coming to talk about this with, with us and helping us unpack um, the many things this movie is trying to do. <laughs> Way too many things. It's so much so fun. Many things. <laughs> but um, let everyone know, wh- where can they find you on social media? And this episode will drop in two weeks. So if you have anything you would like to plug, like with Fantasia or anything, please, by all means, go ahead. So you can find me at VFD Pixie on Twitter. I'm usually on there or Instagram uh, at CMO25. And um, for Blood in the Snow, our uh, Horror Lab uh, applications are open. So if you're a Canadian underrepresented filmmaker who wants to work on a um, feature film, uh, applications are open. And Fantasia's coming up in like oh my god like a little over a month well yeah about two months well a month and a half i don't know anyway it's coming up (laughs) the emails are telling me that it's coming up so yeah if anybody's going to fantasia this year i'll be there All right. Well, if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at horrorqueers. Shoot us an email at horrorqueers at gmail.com. Find us on Letterboxd to keep track of all the films we've covered. Go to our YouTube channel to check out our interviews with various horror filmmakers and tune in once a month to hear us talk about our most anticipated horror films for that month. If you want to chat with other listeners, please join our Facebook Horror Queers group. If you have a moment, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify because that really helps us out. And if you want even more content, please support the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash horrorqueers. Uh, we're in June, so sign up and you get 245 hours of extra content if you sign up at the highest tier. And this month, we're catching up on Horror TV with discussions of Slasher Ripper and Yellow Jacket Season 2, as well as Rob Savage's Stephen King adaptation, The Boogeyman, and the all-black slasher comedy film film the blackening i can promise you it's more successful than this movie oh it's so good (laughs) good that's two votes for the blackening i'm so excited to watch this at my screening next week (laughs) Uh, we will also be having an audio commentary on the aquatic slasher film jaws 2 just in time for its 45th anniversary um oh joe yes what are we talking about next week 
So this is a bit of a weird one because originally we were going to drop the audio from our live show at Salem Horror Fest a little while ago, Trace, Mm -hmm. but uh, we had a little bit of technical schnafus, so we re-recorded the episode when we got back home. So folks, you will get to hear us talk about The Hitcher. I'm just going to say too, so, okay, first of all, I think the episode turned out really, really well because I edited this thing, but... okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I had flown back from Salem at like 7.30 in the morning, waking up at 5 in the morning, getting home, still working my day job, and then hopping on a call with you to talk about The Hitcher again <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> for like an hour and a half. Um, I'm really proud of this episode. I think I think we did a really, really good job with this. And while I am sad that we cannot give y'all the audio from our live show... I think this turned out really well. Absolutely. And you know what? It sounds like Trace went through hell to make this episode happen. So I definitely feel like maybe people should either give us that review or maybe sign up on Patreon. It's kind of the least you could do. Yeah, do that. Do one of those things. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everyone. Well, until next week, we can cross out bad hair. Indeed. And cross out horror queers. (laughs) 